It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni with Jeremy Kate. On today's show, we're going to discuss local media and its failings in reaching out to and representing people of color in our community. But first, some important background. In 1827, a group of prominent free African-American citizens from states along the Eastern Seaboard met in the New York City home of Boston Crummel. They were there to discuss means to communicate their views on the various social, political, and economic issues that commonly confronted them and their respective communities. Although black citizens utilized the church and social and fraternal organizations as a means of collective expression and dialogue, the usual channels of public media, particularly newspapers, were denied to them. Exacerbating the problem was the fact that elements of the established press routinely denigrated African-Americans in print, even to the extent of questioning both the integrity and morality of the entire race. The most significant outcome of the meeting at Mr. Crummel's house in the winter of 1827 was the decision to begin publication of the first newspaper produced by Black Americans, Freedom's Journal. Two attendees at the meeting, Reverend Samuel Cornish and John D. Russworm, became the paper's editors. Although well-intentioned white citizens sometimes defended the honor of African Americans in public forums, the editors of Freedom's Journal proclaimed in the first issue, quote, too long have others spoken for us. We wish to plead our own cause. With us to discuss this topic is Latrell Crittenden, the author of a study titled the Road to Making Small Town News More Inclusive, published in the Columbia Journalism Review. Latrell is a graduate of Chambersburg High School and is currently the program director and assistant professor of communication at Thomas Jefferson University. Thank you for joining us, Latrell. Yes, absolutely. Um, I gave that little bit of information because I feel like in reading your papers and digging into this topic that not much has changed in terms of wishing to plead our own cause. So let's walk this back a second before we, that's kind of a jump ahead. You grew up here in Chambersburg. What was your experience as a young man consuming media in a small town? What I'll say is that I study issues related to representation of media and my experiences in Chambersburg were a direct cause or directly related to my eventually becoming a professor, getting a PhD at University of Illinois and studying these issues. When I actually decided to go to graduate school, um, it was after I had worked in upstate New York and I had actually had the experience of being a police reporter and having somebody come up to me one day and say, well, you're a racist reporter. And I was like, how are you gonna tell me I'm racist, I'm black? But I actually started to look at some of the stories that I was doing and they were mainly stories about African-Americans that were discussing criminality. I didn't have any type of empathy. I didn't really go into any depth. And it reminded me of my experiences in Chambersburg where at that time, we're talking 20 years ago, I did feel that there needed to be better coverage and representation of African-Americans uh, with the public opinion. 
So that actually led me and I actually wrote uh, my essay to get into grad school with the idea of actually studying that very topic. Um, life happens, things change, but it's interesting that we're now full circle as a result of my partnership with a colleague at Temple University, Andrea Wenzel, whom we did the article together and did the research together. I'm actually back at the very topic that now 15 years ago, I initially wanted to study. So my experiences in Chambersburg have a direct linkage to uh, my overall career. Uh, and it's just been an opportunity now to look at the issues as they pertain to my hometown. So let's talk about this particular article and study. You began by speaking with a group of African-Americans and Latinx people in the community. Tell us about their reactions and their feelings about how they are either represented or underrepresented in local and maybe even national media. So the consensus that we got out of the focus groups, we actually did uh, four separate focus groups. One was with uh, white residents of the area. One was with a group of community leaders, and that was a mixed race group. And then there was the African-American Latinx uh, focus groups. Uh, the consensus was that they were not represented, quite frankly, at all in local media. We asked people, how many times have you ever been interviewed? And in many cases, people, and it's a small town, uh, people had never been approached by uh, the uh, local media. That includes business owners. That includes people who have had uh, community positions or led different organizations. And they can, the, the main concern was that the only time that uh, African-Americans or Latinx members would appear in the press as if something bad happens, criminality, uh, something of that nature, going to jail or some type of negative uh, occurrence, other or sports. So that on an everyday basis, you do not see African-Americans or Hispanic members of the community in the news. So it basically parallels what uh, in some of the other research that I've done, uh, that people do not, people of color do not see themselves in the media, at least as it pertains to telling the stories of their everyday lived experiences. Right. So how do these groups currently get their media and what sources do they currently look to? Excellent question. The effort that we attempted to make and are continuing to do is to understand how people gather their information. That's when we say information needs or community information assets, we're not just talking about news. Um, we're talking about, are you going to the Walmart and talking to people in line? Are you going and getting your information on Facebook? Are you going to get your information other places? And by and large, uh, a lot of the information that people are picking up are either are, are through Facebook groups or Facebook messages, or through interpersonal communication, be it through texting, uh, meeting in person. Um, there are also some other ways that people are gathering information. For instance, um, different grocery stores, particularly in the Hispanic community, that has information posted. The library has information posted. Uh, and then also just being in different community organizations. So for a lot of the information, they are actually turning to alternative sources. And I, and I would 
it would not be fair for me to say that this is not just people of color. Um, the lack of overall news coverage was a concern for all residents and that a lot of people are turning to alternative sources that aren't necessarily quote unquote the news to gather that information. So again, uh, meetings at X, Y, or Z, uh, bulletin boards, Facebook, and interpersonal communication. You use the term in one of your articles, storytelling network. Mm -hmm. Explain that a little, because what you're describing, it sounds like a patchwork of ways that information can be collected. Is that akin to the storytelling network? So a storytelling network, it's, it's actually not a very difficult concept. Um, you wake up in the morning and then think about how the various ways that you're actually getting and receiving information. Certainly you may turn on local television news. You may pick up the newspaper if you, or you may go online. Uh, but there are other communication assets in every community that really serve the needs, uh, the information needs of different residents. And again, you're talking about um, Facebook pages. In some of the studies that we've done or some of the, that, that are ongoing, people go, there are certain Facebook pages that are representing certain neighborhoods or certain groups of community. You're talking about texting. So if somebody texts something and then uh, they text the other person or they text the other person. So you have that sort of network. Uh, gathering places. Uh, one of the things with COVID that has actually been impactful is the fact that you've decimated a lot of those in, uh, community assets where information is spread like churches or, um, again, different organizational meetings where on one hand you have the meeting, on the second hand, afterwards everybody's talking and they're talking about what's happening. So when you think about how you gather and collect all of your information, particularly as it pertains to things of interest to you, no one is merely getting their information from the news media. You're, and there's many different ways and methods of actually gathering that information and distributing that particular information. And in Chambersburg, uh, particular, because of the lack of reporters, a lot of that information is being spread through other means. Um, and that's when we're talking about storytelling networks. What we did find in, in the article is that in Chambersburg, there are very specific storytelling networks that pertain to different communities, uh, particularly African-American community. And there's one for the Latinx community. And even when you dig into the Latinx community, you have different segments of the community uh, that are based on nation origin. So whether they were born here or came as immigrants, uh, if you are from a Guatemalan uh, background, that is a uh, chain. If they're from Mexico, that's a chain. If we're talking about Puerto Rico, that's a chain. So that's, again, when you think about those networks, it, it really is like a web. Mm -hmm. The Germantown Info Hub. And I know part of this study is to look for solutions. The Germantown Info Hub sounded like a potential solution. Talk about that project and, and what it did. Okay. So that's an ongoing project. The Germantown Info Hub is basically, it's, 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 it's journalism plus. And what I mean by that is we are actually telling news stories and gathering news and information about the Germantown neighborhood of Philadelphia. And if you're not familiar with Philadelphia, 
Germantown to Northwest Philadelphia. It is a predominantly African-American community, not 100%. It's actually a good mix, uh, mix of races, but uh, what we found in other studies is that people, again, don't feel like that neighborhood is being represented fairly. So one of the things that we did was we decided to actually create a new site that would cover some in news and information in Germantown. However, that's not the only aspect of that project. What we actually also do is facilitate conversations among community members on different topics. So one of the things that we would often do is, for instance, um, a major concern in Germantown is trash collection. And there's a very complicated way that Philadelphia collects trash. And uh, it's not serving Germantown very well. So we would actually facilitate a conversation and have people, residents just come in and talk about what their concerns are. Uh, and the goal of that is not only to uh, be able to produce news stories, but also to have community members connect with each other. Oh, I know how to do this. I know how to do that. Let's work together. So it's when I say journalism plus, you're dealing with solutions, not only in the form of storytelling, and solutions journalism, I can get into that. This is a very different form of storytelling, but also through having connections across different community lines. And I say that, that that's actually important. And I think that that's something that could actually benefit Chambersburg because one of the things that we didn't go into depth about, but we probably will in the future, is that you do not have a lot of communication across different lines in Chambersburg. The information, again, is very siloed. So you don't necessarily have uh, the Latinx community talking to the African-American community, talking to uh, the white community. And then to even say the white community, again, there's gonna be different variations based on where they live in Chambersburg or Franklin County, class, church. So you don't have a lot of communication across different boundaries. So that's one of the goals of the Info Hub in Germantown is to facilitate those conversations. Does any of your research address what is one of the bigger questions around local media, and that's why it doesn't get supported by anyone? Uh, the public opinion died a slow, painful death, and we as a community are responsible for that. Does any of your research get into the death of local media? Not specifically, however. Um... It's, it's something that is that we talk about as a given when we talk about the fact that different communities are not being served by their media. Always in the background are the economic conditions that are plaguing communities across the nation. Um, as, and I actually teach courses on this uh, where I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but um, we've basically seen a reduction in the number of journalists uh, by more than 25%. Uh, and again, the numbers may be not on the head, but you've seen a massive reduction in the number of journalists over the last 10 to 15 years. The one thing that came out, for instance, with this study was the fact, and multiple people said it, uh, I actually interned at the public opinion uh, in 1998. Oh, Full wow. news. Thank you. You make me feel old now, but <laughs> um, oh, I can make you feel young in a hurry. <laughs> Don't worry. But, uh, 
Pete, but that I was to, I got to jump in for one minute just to clarify the public opinion is not quite dead. It, you could say it's on life support, but it, it's still out there. Let's just make that point. Yes, there it is being published, but it's mainly it's, sourced out of York by Janet. Yeah, the so staffing the in, in Chambersburg is not nearly what it what it was. And so, going back to when you were an intern there, it was an actual newspaper. Well, they had. Well, every desk was full and there were about, I can't say for certain, but there were well over 10 reporters. Uh, And so you actually had a full newsroom and you actually had people covering all parts of the county. My understanding now, based on conversation, is that you might have three to two reporters uh, covering issues in Franklin County. That alone, at least from the public opinion side, that alone is going to impact your ability to cover news because you don't have people assigned to different regions in the county, uh, to different beats, uh, like government or police, and you're taxing the amount of information that these poor reporters can gather. So that is certainly in the backdrop. And what's actually happening in Chambersburg uh, and Franklin County is that it's slowly becoming a news desert. A news desert is a place where basically there's no news coverage. It is a, it, it is fair to say that the public opinion is still around, but a lot of their news is actually, uh, if you look at the content, uh, a lot of it's coming out of York. It's coming from Gannett. So you don't have a lot of local news coverage on a day-to-day basis. And one of the things that people complained about in the focus groups across the board was the fact that what's happening in borough council, don't know. What's happening in the schools? Don't know. What's happening um, with a whole host of different issues? So that is something that is uh, very significant. It's not unique to Chambersburg, but in a place like Chambersburg, uh, a place like Chambersburg, where you only literally would have only a few outlets, when you condense the number of reporters in the entire county to only a handful, that's going to have a much greater impact on a place like Philadelphia, which you can, you get rid of 100 reports, you still have a lo- several hundred left. And when you do that in Pittsburgh, it's the same thing. When you reduce the number of reporters in Chambersburg, you basically are left essentially with an emerging news desert. Right. All right. Let's move on to another part of your uh, paper. You talked about the pastoral myth of small town America. Uh, let's get into that and describe what you're talking about and its relevance to this issue. Yes. So this is a study long ago by a man by the name of Herbert Gantz. We don't need to really go into the details or bore you with it. But pastoralism is the idea that when you talk about small towns, everybody's happy, nothing bad happens, slow pace of life. Just basically pick all of your basic stereotypes that you might hear about Chambersburg and life as being this eclectic romantic notion and that's typically how in many cases news is framed in rural areas and nothing bad ever happens here uh and the other thing that is connected with that uh is quite frankly in small towns uh the emphasis of coverage is on white communities and in many cases you are focusing on uh there's people of color are virtually invisible in these spaces. So for instance, one of the earlier drafts of that piece, I talked about uh, J.D. Vance's uh, book, um, Hillbilly Elegy. He basically talked about his life in Ohio 
And basically this has been sort of seen as this great book that explains life in small town America. What is problematic about the book is that in discussing uh, his hometown in Ohio, he failed to mention that that town is about 20% African-American, but those voices are completely erased from that narrative. So you have this sort of, and, and he's, he's not being pastoral about small town America, but again, everything is framed in the, through the eyes of this is where white people live and there's no people of color. And I think that that is a significant issue combined when you combine the fact that you, you have this stereotypical view of that no, nothing really negative happens here or Quite literally a whitewash. Exactly. So, and you don't have any representation when you're talking about uh, people of color. And in talking about that representation, you list these three components of journalism that would represent people of color with perceived accuracy, respectful representation, and the perceived motives of a journalist or outlet. This seems to go to a question of whether or not these groups trust media. Mm -hmm. So talk, talk about that a little. Um, well, this is across all the different research that we've been doing in, in, in my own research in Pittsburgh. The, the simple answer is most people don't, if you look at any survey, most people don't trust media. But the distrust that communities of color have with media is historic. Going back to your intro, uh, Freedom's Journal was basically designed to report on communities of color in uh, New York because there, no one trusted what was coming in the yeah. local media. So this is centuries old. And, and in a place like Chambersburg, where again, you don't have, you have a long history of neglect of the com communities of color. People do not trust that when reporters show up, they're going to represent them fairly or be concerned with what they actually happen to say. Uh, so in the story, it talks about one of the, a community leader who basically stopped talking to reporters um, unless they would actually agree to let them see the story because he felt he was going to be uh, misrepresented or misquoted. So that level of mistrust or distrust leads not only to a lack of coverage of the community because um, there, it, doesn't get, it doesn't exist anyway, but what you're really dealing with is even if people try to connect with those community members, people are going to be skeptical. I'm like, I don't want to talk to the public opinion. I don't want to talk to this journalist. I don't want to do anything of this nature. And, it, and actually, this is an aside, but even setting up this project, it took a lot of legwork, even though I'm from the community, because people were like, oh, you're in journalism. I don't want to talk to you. Because that level of distrust that actually exists with communities of color is very strong. So that is something that, uh, again, the Info Hub. Uh, is working on building trust with communities of color and the media. So one of the things, that, and this again, going back to the, the Info Hub, we also do discussions between journalists and community members and where basically journalists present stories and community members can sit there and, and basically critique. Uh, and that, again, is to build trust and just encourage journalists to listen to different communities as opposed to only seeing work as transactional. What can I get out of you? 
the relationship right. needs to be built in a way where you're coming to me, I'm sharing this information and you need to trust it and treat it with responsibility and the dignity that it deserves. And that's something that really, uh, in journalism circles, we're moving more toward that type of engagement, but it still is frowned upon because of traditional ideas of objectivity and being detached from the community. But in communities of color especially, that's very important because of this legacy of uh, distrust. You state in your article uh, regarding contact with the WHYY staffers that reporters asked community leaders for a list of sources. The leaders refused, saying that the reporters needed to build trust first, which I think goes directly to your point. And you know, how does how does how do journalists build trust with communities of color? Show up. You have to show up at the meetings. Don't necessarily take notes, but just show up and say, hi, I'd like to know your story. And by building and cultivating relationships, by showing up, by engaging people, by treating people humanely, then you actually have the opportunity to build trust with people, and then they will actually share your stories with them. In Chambersburg, it's particularly problematic because, and we talked about this in the story, there are language barriers in addition to just the basic racial barriers that have always existed. So one of the things that may be required in Chambersburg and one of the things that people wanted and they expressed was some sort of translation of news or some sort of news that's bilingual because it's very difficult to again, build trust when you don't see yourselves fairly represented in the news but if you actually have reporters across the board who can't communicate with more than 2,000 members of the community, then that is a significant issue. But the main thing is show up and also be accountable. When somebody says, you know what, you're not doing a good job, listen. Right. In your hometown, uh, Philadelphia, there's a newspaper called Aldea. Mm-hmm which is a bilingual newspaper. And I have a quote here from the founder on the use of the bilingual newspaper. He says they may have switched their language preference, but there's still desperation to have their stories told in the manner that they feel is representative of themselves. So this theme is recurrent Mm -hmm. that the minority communities not only are not being represented, but when they are, they don't feel that it's, they're in any way properly represented. Now I'm going to ask a little tougher question. How much of this burden is on these communities to come forward to tell their story? That's a fair question. That's something that um, I have gotten into with my work in Pittsburgh. Here's the problem. And this gets back to trust. If you historically do not trust a particular outlet, placing the burden on that particular community to tell their story to somebody that they don't trust that story with, that's problematic. And I, I and, and again, a lot of, I did focus groups in Pittsburgh around this issue where people just simply have decided, I'm not going to go to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette because they misrepresent us all the time. Well, the problem is, if they feel that they don't trust you with the story, 
I think that it's somewhat problematic to say, well, you're not coming to us with the story when they don't, they have every reason to not trust you with that particular story. And when the only time you're showing up for any stories is when something is negative. So there are ways, and we actually talk about and do trainings uh, with community members uh, here in Philadelphia about how to pitch stories. But at the end of the day, the power is in the hands of newsrooms and journalists. So it should not be upon communities to say, please cover us. It should be the uh, newsroom saying there are valuable stories to tell here. We need to make sure that we're going into those communities to tell them and to tell them in a a way that represents those communities fairly. All right, let's get on to the next phase of your study, solutions. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how we can solve these problems. So one of the things that we want to do, and again, this was just the first part of the study. The plan was to come back to Chambersburg uh, to hold an, a convening where we would uh, share some of our work and then ask community members what they feel potential solutions could be, potential interventions could be to dealing with this particular uh, situation in terms of news coverage and representation, particularly of communities of color. Obviously, we will not be coming. Um, However, we do plan on holding a session via Zoom where we will invite a lot of the people who participated in the focus groups, and hopefully we can get the public opinion and Franklin County Free Press, the podcast, even the uh, local conservative talk station, although they they haven't really agreed to it, neither has the public opinion. But hopefully we can get them there and we'll talk about what are some interventions that can be made to improve the situation. For instance, there is a gap between the Spanish-speaking community and uh, the English-speaking community in Chambersburg. Is there something that can possibly be done uh, in terms of... Uh, that particular issue. Are there ways to enhance the amount of news coverage in Chambersburg? Again, there are not many reporters in Franklin County. Or are there other creative ways of trying to deal with the lack of overall news coverage and fair representation of communities of color that we haven't even necessarily thought of? The reason I'm too hesitant to push out any particular idea is that the experience that we've had is that we talk when we talk about news we talk about this thing called news ecosystems well all that means is that an ecosystem is how the planet lives and water and all that other stuff that you learn in biology class well the idea is that each ecosystem is different so if you live in the polar ice caps that ecosystem is different if you live in south america it's different we need to understand what the full ecosystem is in Chambersburg to really talk about the proper interventions uh, for what will um, work in Chambersburg. Because if I create a solution that fits in Philadelphia, it will not necessarily and probably will not work uh, in Chambersburg. Because again, the ecosystem in Philadelphia is you have uh, one massive newspaper, multiple uh, news outlets on broadcast. You also have lots of ethnic and community newspapers. 
You don't have that in Chambersburg. So the way that you would actually do an intervention would need to be significantly different. But what we want to do is talk to community members to see what it is that you feel would be uh, proper and any ideas that you may have. But certainly language barrier, lack of reporting, those are two things that came out of the focus groups that we would probably need to address. Is the Germantown Info Hub an applicable solution for our community? Um, that's where we would need more information. Now, the thing with Germantown is that, again, Germantown has more than 40 registered community organizations that are heavily active inside of the community. It also has two very different parts of the neighborhood, one being more affluent than the other. So what we've tried to do in Germantown uh, is really engage the part of the community, East Germantown, that doesn't typically get any coverage in the news unless it was for gun violence. And they don't have the same level of um, community organization activity uh, as you mm -hmm. do in the more affluent part of Germantown. So we would really need to understand what are the, so again, this is where we talk about community assets. What are the key community assets in Chambersburg that are distributing information? What are the, if we do a partnership with a news organization, what are the potential news organizations where we can partner? Um, are there, what is the infrastructure for local universities? Because this Germantown Info Hub is connected to two separate universities, Temple and my own university at Thomas Jefferson. Uh, are there places where we could house it? So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that we would really need to ask. I don't think the Info Hub would, one-on-one -on -one work in Chambersburg uh, for a number of reasons. The one, the main, the main reason is there's not a very large Hispanic uh, or Spanish first speaking community in Germantown. It's basically black and white. So that's something that you would need to deal with. Uh, also urban communities are completely different than small towns or rural communities. The idea, however, it might work, but that's one of the things that we would need to uh, talk with community members about and trying to talk about a potential intervention. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is any intervention right now is going to, any intervention right now has to account for COVID because the type of community engagement that we were doing in Germantown, which involved showing up at community meetings, just talking to people on the street, that's not going to be possible. So that has to be considered when any type of intervention or solution does get uh, made. Certainly, and the uh, COVID is one of these situations where the, inform the information flow is crucial. And, you know, for these communities, how are they getting information about COVID? The same methods that you described earlier? COVID has been a game changer. We're actually conducting another round of focus groups in Germantown and the Kensington neighborhood in Philadelphia, which is does have a very large Spanish-speaking population, just to try and figure out what the information needs are. And one, what people need right now is completely different. People want to know, especially if they're, where's food? Like some people yeah. have a less, not a much access to food. Where can I get testing? Uh, what is open and what is not open? 
Um, and how are my neighbors doing, particularly uh, neighbors who are older? So these, there are basic life and death issues that people are really focusing in on. Um, and how do you communicate? This is one of the concerns, and we mentioned this in the article, is that because Chambersburg is very heavily on old school means of communication, in person, flyers, things of that nature, how are people actually getting the information in Chambersburg? And it's particularly in the uh, Latinx Hispanic community where you now have places that were probably open that are no longer available. So that's a very big issue in terms of communication inside of Chambersburg, particularly with the Latinx community. That's one of the other things that we would wanna ask is what's going on with these community assets of communi communication assets in town uh, since COVID struck. I, my guess is the model that was working and the intervention that we could have made, it can't be made now. We need, so right. we would need to think of something, but we also would need to really, again, think that going digital for everything is not going to work because not everybody has digital access in terms of internet or they have poor access. Um, so there, the intervention would also have to account for how can we reach people who don't necessarily have the ability to do a Zoom chat. Yeah, that's a, that, and that's a challenging question. And you also, I think, throw in there uh, the issues we discussed previously about lack of trust mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in media and, you, you know, put that in the COVID mix and you've got kind of a dangerous situation. Do you see change coming? Do you feel like this is going to change? Because going back to the opening paragraph I read, that struck me that, you know, what's really changed? Not much. Mm -hmm. And so what's your view on this? I think the potential for change is there. And I do think that you have a number of places where you do see significant strides for change, particularly in Philadelphia. Uh, there's a collaborative uh, called Resolve in Philadelphia. And they basically have been leading the way in having different newsrooms work together to cover different issues, particularly as they pertain to communities of color. And the idea is that all the newsrooms are working together, not only to cover the stories, but also grapple with these larger issues of race and segregation and economic uh, displacement. Because if you continue to do that type of work the way that you've been doing over and over again, you're going to continue to replicate the problems of the past. So Resolve is an excellent model, and we are part of it with Germantown Info Hub. I think that they, they provide hope for the future. But again, what I caution with even looking at something like Resolve, and this is where ecosystem-based solutions have to be made. Again, Philadelphia is not Chambersburg. Philadelphia is not Pittsburgh. So all of that is to say there is absolutely a solution, but it's going to require people, community members at the grassroots level, and then also media makers to find a way to really change the narrative and tell the types of stories that place the needs of community members first. Uh, and that's going to, that's, that's again, one of the things we're trying to study by holding focus groups and by talking to different uh, residents. But I absolutely, I absolutely do think that things can change. And I'm, we're really seeing that here in Philadelphia. Well, that's 
fantastic. And I think that's a great note for us to wrap up on. Latrell, thanks so much for coming on the show, mm-hmm. uh, for shining a light on this issue that I know in this community uh, we're not really looking at. And so, you know, bringing it up and having this discussion, I think, is important. And thanks. Where can we find you online? Uh, yes. Yeah, so a couple of things. Uh, one, please uh, be on the lookout. We will be sending out information that is related to our next set of uh, meetings. It'll be online to discuss ways to deal with these issues in terms of uh, finding online. If you want to read the article that is particular to this piece, if you basically look up my name, Latrell Crittenden, L-E-T-R-E-L-L-C-R-I-T-T-E-N-D-E-N, Google that and look up Tau Center, you'll be able to find a number of stories that I've, been, that I've written uh, that are focused on this issue. And in terms of other ways to contact me, I'm on Twitter at L Deshaun, L-D-E-S-H-A-N. Uh, and I'm also available on Facebook. And my email address is my name, L-E-T-R-E-L-L dot C-R-I-T-T-E-N-D-E-N at jefferson.edu. And if you want to look at the Germantown Info Hub, we have a Medium page. Just Google Germantown Info Hub, and you'll find our work there. All right. Fantastic. Thanks again, Latrell. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Latrell. And thanks, everyone, for listening to the Progress Pod. You can find out more about the podcast at progresspod.org.